bitch thoughts Sports news that top You know Chris said uh, Who got you taking all the shots Tell me like who got traded, who did not And what's the latest, well let's debate Just trust the process, you know we got this in-depth analysis Who's the baddest? Yes, right here, behind the line No bout, there's no crime Like and one, go for two Three, pull and drop to the hoop We cover it all inside the park The newest stud up from the bar It's deeper stalks DTB, you're tuned into the best you'll see Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts podcast, episode number 22. I'm Chris Horwardell, joined, as always, by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, the 2017 NFL Draft has come and gone, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but you know what else has come and gone? The 2016-2017 Chicago Bulls season. Oh, R.I.P. to the <laughs> terrible dumpster fire of a basketball team. Good riddance, honestly. They're so terrible. They deserve to go out like this. Yeah, but, I mean, it looked interesting early on, and it seemed like Rajon Rondo going down early in the series was kind of the death blow to the Bulls. Yeah, yeah I agree with that, and especially coming home with a 2-0 lead. Mm-hmm. It looked more interesting than it probably... I mean, I, I again, I think the Celtics weren't a true one seed, like the way that you'd expect right. for an 82-game sample, and I, I, I don't think the Bulls caliber of team was quite an eight seed I mean I think they were more befitting of five seed. So it felt like sort of a second dish round matchup probably more so than anything. But in the end the better team won. Uh, the much better coach won. Yeah. The more cohesive unit won. And yeah, Rondo if Rondo plays, you know, maybe it goes seven, maybe the Bulls, you know, knock them out right away and at home and just eliminate the Celtics, a team that was in pretty dire straits with the Isaiah Thomas stuff, and the Bulls were kind of a, a weird matchup for them. Um, but in the end, they lost. The Bulls got swept away just like they deserved to be. This team deserved this finish. I, with or without Rondo, it deserved this finish. What was your reaction to the, the now very famous re- – well, what's your reaction to the reaction of uh, Brad Stevens <laughs> sitting on the bench listening to the Chicago fans chant fire Hoiberg? <laughs> Brad Stevens' reaction? Yeah. You didn't see this? Yeah, no, I don't think so. What was it? You can you can see it. Brad Stevens as as the Chicago crowd is is chanting "Fire Hoiberg." You can see a mouth shut up. Uh, that uh, that's tough because you know I think I I honestly it's tough for me to blame Hoiberg for all this for any of this really. Mm-hmm. I mean this is a clear inmates running the asylum situation with the Bulls this year and really last year as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's tough not to look at Hoiberg and Stevens and not see the parallels and contrast between the two. I mean, you're talking about a guy, again, a fresh-faced coach right out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think that they're both younger, obviously. I just I, – and I think that Hoiberg is relatively well-regarded in the NBA circles or was coming in because he also had NBA front office experience and obviously played for a while. So that, that complicates things, and I, I think that they're probably buddies, obviously, based on that reaction. I, I hadn't seen it, but um, the contrast is also not lost on me and probably not lost on most fans when you think of the liberties that Stevens has been given with that, that Celtic team from day one. They mm-hmm. were a young roster. They were built from the ground up, and they were built around him in many cases, in right. many ways. And, you know, Hoiberg was given this roster with a pretty crappy front office, that's been made, you know, obviously made light of 
constantly throughout the last few years and um, unceremoniously bailed on Tom Thibodeau. So, you know, I think that uh, the contrast between the two is tough, and I think that's a pretty classy move. I'm surprised it's even smart to tell the fans to shut up. I know it doesn't seem right, but I think it definitely seems fair. Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that Jimmy Butler isn't the easiest person in the world to manage. Rajon Rondo is certainly one of the more difficult people in the NFL to to keep under control. And Brad Stevens has that. Thank you. And Brad Stevens has this young group, and it certainly helps too that his superstar wasn't a superstar a couple of years ago. This guy came out of nowhere, and by all accounts, has almost no ego because of it. No question. And the fact that he's a guard kind of also, I mean, I know Rondo and Wayne are guards too, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just like, I think there's, it's a little, there's a little bit more humility there for Isaiah Thomas. And um, yeah, and I mean, I, honestly though, the Celtics aren't without their personalities. I mean, Avery Bradley is a, man, a massive personality. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. Horford's been around forever. Obviously a banner member of the NBA, but veteran, classy veteran. But, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't think any of those three guys that you mentioned with the Bulls are, like, negative. You wouldn't think of them as, like, negative personalities. Mm-hmm. But I think you would you could easily see that they'd all be difficult for a rookie, young rookie coach to get along with. For sure. So, well, well, what do you do now? You're a, the, the Bulls season is over, and a couple weeks ago we talked about potentially trading Butler. It seemed like that kind of went on the back burner after they took a 2-0 lead. But now this is a team that was eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. What do you do if uh, you're running this team right now? Oh, man. If I'm running this team, first of all, Butler would have probably been gone already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the trade rumors were there or were real and were out there. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm i going to go back to this. I don't really blame Hoiberg that much. I think it's tough to fire a coach. It's not my money, but it's tough to fire a coach. Both You have both his and Thibodeau's salary. I believe they're still on. Maybe not still on the for, but you can't pay Hoiberg what they're paying him for two more years Mm -hmm. um, and add another marquee coach, which is what you'd be looking to do. Um, You know, I I mean, I'd be looking at the Sixers, I'd be looking at the Celtics and seeing, well, you know, what are you willing to give up here for Jimmy Butler? I would, and you know, the the route that I'm afraid of that I think that they're going to ultimately take is the half measure route where they roll it back. I mean, if, if Wade picks up his own $23.5 million mm-hmm. option, which he's absolutely within his rights to do and probably should do if he wants to maximize his money, then this is all for none. I mean, like, yeah. you can't then flip Butler and just have Wade and a bunch of kids. You know, like, I mean, I just don't see that happening. Maybe, maybe they do that and then they flip Wade at the deadline when his, his salary is less onerous, I guess. You know, but I mean... I don't know. That's a tough situation. I think I would trade Butler to the Celtics or, or the Sixers. I mean, we, you and I have talked in nauseam about what the Sixers can give up. That'd be, that's probably the best option to be, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't comment on this until I know for sure what Philadelphia's going to have in terms of uh, ammunition in the first round. So it's hard because... And any trade, you have to give up Robert Covington, and I just think the world of that guy. I think that yeah. he, he is one of the reasons that this team's defense was as good as it was in the second half without Joel Embiid. And uh, if you I, – I, I'm not going to remember who uh, whose article it was, but I think it was on The Ringer. Read an article last week that suggested Covington was the best 3 and D wing in the NFL. Uh, NFL. I can't get sports right. In the NBA right now. <laughs> 
So, oh, so there's there's a, a ton, there's a ton of value there. there I'm gonna go with Clay Thompson. But does does Clay Thompson guard anybody anymore though? He's still a, a pretty damn good defender, I think. When he's I mean, in, when he's interested in it, all Clay Thompson wants to do now is prove that he belongs in the same conversation as Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll take Kevin. I'll take Clay Thompson. You take Robert Covington. <laughs> okay. I didn't say that's the way we're gonna go. I think Clay. No, I think that uh, Clay's obviously more valuable. Like he's, he's definitely a quality player, and I don't think he was throwing in a deal like we when we initially talked about it. Um, I was kind of like, all right, Covington doesn't do anything for me, but um, you know, I think some of that is just out of town stupid on my part probably sure. and the fact that that Sixers team hasn't been on our radar across the country so that's, that's my own ignorance hey 10 and 3 in December January one of the hottest teams in the NBA for a stretch and then then everything went to hell but look there's going to be plenty of time <laughs> to talk about basketball plenty of time to talk about the Bulls the Sixers and all of that the NFL draft just happened. Let's talk football and a couple of interesting little little tidbits today. Jamal Charles has found a new team. He's going to sign with the Denver Broncos on a one-year deal. Uh, it's w- one year worth up to $3.75 million, only a $1 million base, con- uh, base in year one. This trade kills me, Anshu. I mean, this, uh, this signing kills me. Just absolutely Why kills me. Because this is a guy who I really pegged in that Eagles offense next year. And uh, it, was oh, just, wow. it was just a matter of us having to wait until Ryan Matthews got healthy enough to cut him. And uh, now he—well, it's actually true. He, uh, we can't cut him while he's hurt, so we can't shed that salary, so we can't sign anybody else. And now you have Jamal Charles effectively signed for $1 million and incentives. Uh, I mean, he would have been a great fit for the Eagles, assuming he still has anything left, which is mm-hmm. a big if. That's like, true. I mean, is that guy with what three surgeries or three massive knee injuries when you talk about the meniscus and two ACLs, I believe. Mm. So, um, yeah, like I, I personally wanted the Packers. I was very interested until they went and drafted three guys <laughs> back on the third day, and it was that one all to naught. But you know, I think that uh, I think he would have made a lot of sense on the Eagles. This is just the you know like quality franchises know what they're doing. Like this is a very low risk high reward sort of signing with Jamal Charles as long as you're not banking on him to do a ton and they're not I mean they they were fine at running back last I mean yes they could they could have been better the Broncos mm-hmm. but you know like if if Charles can reclaim any of the explosiveness he's had which is I believe it's a NFL it's the highest in NFL history right in terms of yards per attempt given a certain minimum of yeah, yeah. attempts so I mean I, I it's tough to pass on that at one million, and the fact that he wanted to go there um, is, is just even more reason to get to sign him up. So, uh, yeah, like I don't think the Broncos needed him, but it's a really nice little signing for them. And, and to your point, I think he would have fit really nicely with the Eagles. I don't think there are many teams where he wouldn't have fit well either. Mm-hmm. That, that's absolutely true. A couple of uh, other interesting notes today are some players who didn't have their fifth-year options picked up, and uh, we're not going to talk about Marcus Smart, colossal draft bust, Marcus Smart in Philadelphia. Uh, Marcus Smart, honestly, I don't know what's wrong with me today. What is up with you, man? <laughs> well, look, in fairness, the, the Eagles also did not pick up Marcus Smart's option. So actually you're right. Technically you're right. accurate. I apologize. <laughs> Very much so. I see what you're doing there. A little cross pollination. 
Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong, and I apologize uh, to everyone listening, but they, the Eagles did not pick up Marcus Smith's uh, fifth-year option, so he will be a free agent following this season. The New York Jets did not pick up the fifth-year... Any surprise there? Is that a surprise no. or no? No, especially not after they drafted Derek Barnett in the first round. But okay. um, although they could look to move on from Vinny Curry if he doesn't kind of have a little bit of a bounce back year because they gave him a lot of money last offseason and he just did not earn it. Uh, the New York Jets did not pick up the fifth-year option for Calvin Pryor. Is that any surprise to you? Uh, a little bit, but, I mean, I uh, Calvin Pryor, do you remember his stock when he came into the NFL? I don't think this guy would have been this high of a pick now for sure today's no. NFL. And uh, he hasn't nearly lived up to his first-round billing. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm not shocked because safeties are we, – we talked about this a lot, too, leading up to the draft – the value of safeties, especially like a true strong safety. Um, but I mean, still that fifth year option is just so cheap. So you really got to like not be interested in this guy being a part of your franchise down the line um, because you could just cut him too after, before that fifth year, um, even with the guaranteed money owed with a fifth year option being picked up. So um, yeah, like, like I guess I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, but then again, if he's good, they can always extend him. So there you go. And the one that was just shocking to me is the Bills electing not to pick up the oh, fifth-year yeah. option of wide receiver Sammy Watkins. That one, and I guess I'm not shocked about the those two are the big, the big names. I would say. Sorry, you, you cut um, out a little bit. You cut out a little bit. Do you want to one. say who who was the other one you were shocked about? Oh, um, I said I'm not shocked about Teddy Bridgewater not getting right, right, right. picked up, but those are the two bigger names. Um, I am shocked about Watkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what are the Bills doing? Like, what was is, is Watkins just that bad of a locker room person, which we haven't heard any of really, right? Never. I mean, he's he's definitely outspoken, but I've never heard a negative like negativity with respect to Watkins in the locker room or on the field or whatever. So it's really, t- I know he's been injury prone, but that's a really strange, bizarre move by a team that needs playmakers. Yeah. Um, they uh, didn't pick up. Yeah. It plays 13 games in 2015, only eight games in 2016. But what is the downside? If he has a bounce back season this year and say, you know, I, I think his career high is 64 catches. Let's say he has 75 catches this year on a, a rough bills offense. This guy is going to hit unrestricted free agency at 24 years old. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Top five pick. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe they wanted to do this so that when they hire a new GM, they weren't beholden to anybody, including Watkins. But, man, I, I just don't see any reason why you would, even like the stuff we were talking about with Pryor, mm-hmm. multiply that tenfold because at worst, I guarantee you someone would trade something for Watkins. I mean, Granted, if you lose them in unrestricted free agency, you get a comp pick, right? But, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not – that's you're still going to get more than that. If you, you would think so. If you want to flip him. Even if he sucks. I mean, I <laughs> like, and I, I can't even imagine a scenario where he would. Uh, like, unless he's lost explosion or there's something off the field that nobody else knows about, which would be completely shocking because he's been a pretty good person, like we said. So, um, yeah, that, this, is a, this is a very, very surprising one to me. Yeah, it, it made me wonder, you know, is there something we don't know about the injury? 
Is the are his knees worse than we think they are? Is there a more significant injury problem than than we think there is? Because that that's the only thing that makes any sense at all to me. Why would you not just you know the the NFL salary cap is like absurdly high. Why would you not? Yeah. Why would you not take a shot on a guy who was like a top five pick, like you said, just a few years ago, and who has produced in the NFL? Makes no sense whatsoever. And shockingly, he is not even the highest pick from that draft. Do not have his option picked up. That draft's number really? two overall pick, Greg Robinson, will hit free agency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's unbelievable. Not unbelievable. Totally merited. But yeah. just crazy that a number two pick is a project that you knew was at least two years away from really being good enough to play in the NFL. Um and at any point on the line, get dunked up like that without, I mean, not even have your option picked up. Right. Number two. That is, that is really damning. Yeah, you at that point, you have to be both a bad football player and a mediocre to bad person. Otherwise, yep. there's no reason. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Because if he was a really good person, I bet that they'd still pick him up and say, like, yeah, you're the number two pick. There's really no reason to bail on you here. Yeah, well, let's let's turn to the 2017 NFL draft and uh, what was uh, man? It, it's amazing to me that it's over as quickly as it is. It seems like the draft goes by in the blink of an eye every single year, and uh, especially for me this year and the unique situation I found myself in, having uh, having to start the draft, I believe. It was around picked. Well, I, I can tell you when I started. It was probably around pick twenty-eight, because prior to us going home, we went to grab some food for the to watch the draft. I went to a local Buffalo Wild Wing, and accident accidentally saw that Ruben Foster was selected by the 49ers. So that that did spoil one pick. But other wow, that's other, a big one to get spoiled. Yeah, you're not you know, kidding. That, that name was up up in the air. Yeah. You're not kidding. I was a little bit disappointed walking out, but uh, but let's go over this. The number one pick, the Cleveland Browns. No surprise, Miles Garrett. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of talk about them potentially looking at Trubisky even the last couple hours. This is one of the very few times where I think there was still a little bit of like, are they are they really thinking about this? Is this really maybe going to happen? And and I mean, most years you're pretty set in stone. Not only number one, but number two, and mm-hmm. three, and four. But number one was completely up in the air this year, and uh, not completely, but like you know, there was that twenty percent possibility that they were going to go Trubisky. But ultimately, Tashi Brown gets the guy that he he should. So smart move, and without question, the cleanest and best player in this draft. Can I tell you that I don't think for a moment there was ever a possibility that they were going to take Mitch Trubisky. I think that this is all just a ploy that, uh, you know, if a team actually wants this guy this badly, they would have to trade up to number one rather than than number two. Because, you know, one of the easiest ways to find out what's real and what's not is to look at what other teams are doing. And the report came Mm -hmm. out a couple days before the draft that the 49ers pick was was available for whoever wanted to jump up and take a quarterback. So right. I, I think the 49ers knew what the Browns were doing. I think, you know, as it turns out, pretty much all of the uh, teams in the NFL knew what the Browns were doing. That's not to say that it didn't cause problems. It absolutely did. Living with a, a certain large Browns fan, 
this this talk of Trubisky was uh, it it caused utter chaos, to to put it one way. I will say that this person who we for the sake for the sake of the what I'm about to say uh, we will leave nameless took this very hard the idea that the the Browns could pass on Trubisky uh, tra- pass on Garrett for Trubisky yet another oh, quarterback yeah. who they would reach for yet another another pick emblematic of the problems the Browns have had over the last ten years. And said person, who again will remain unnamed, may or may not have put picked up all of his or her Browns paraphernalia, put it into a giant pile in our in our bedroom, and well, that may it could look. Everyone knows around here open door policy if you want to drop off brown stuff. So, could be anybody, but giant pile and and said very point blank, if they th- select Mitchell Trubisky, I'm throwing away every piece of Browns merchandise that I have. Wow. Well, to be clear, over Miles Garrett, right? If they take correct, Trubisky, correct, over correct. Because I thought that I I do think that their interest in Trubisky was real, and I. But I just didn't think there was any way that they were not taking both. Like, if they took your, there was no way in my mind that Garrett was going anywhere but Cleveland, unless they got just absolutely blown away. Mm-hmm. And and then I thought there was a decent chance that they'd also get Trubisky, as many did. Um, but at the end, you know, <laughs> said person can go, proudly wear some of that person's brown here because I thought that they had one of the best drafts in the NFL this year. That person may or may not have worn uh, his or her Carl Nassib jersey to school on Friday. Carl Nassib. In celebration. Uh, But look, I didn't think I, I didn't think that they were ever going to get both, to be honest with you, because I think it was going to take too much. We've we followed the NFL draft for a long time and the top quarterback, unless he is, you know, EJ Manuel does not fall out of the top two or three picks. I always thought that this 49ers pick was going to be moved uh, for a team to go up and get Trubisky if the 49ers didn't do it themselves. And obviously that was the case. The Bears trade up from number three to number two, and uh, they give up, let's see, they give up the number three pick, the number 67 pick, the number 111 pick, and a 2018 third round pick to jump up one spot and secure themselves the quarterback that they desired. They got, they've just gotten absolutely torched. Brian mm. Bates and this, I mean, by all accounts, they got played a little bit, according to MMQB and some of the other sources, Tim Kawakami in San Jose, I believe, San Jose, Mercury News or whatever. He, I mean, they've gotten just blasted. And by all accounts, John Lynch's first draft has been just a crazy success so yeah. lynch went on um rich eisen's show and said something like you know all along ryan pace and i sort of had this understanding and pace leading up to the draft had said you know make sure you give me the right to last refusal you know if someone's got a deal for you let me have the chance to make this move up to get to to see if you know just let me see what the value is so that i could potentially beat it mm-hmm. And so I think that this was a couple of days, at least, if not weeks and months in the making. And at the end, I think that 
you know, I think that Lynch knew. He claims he didn't know who the Bears were going to take, mm-hmm. but I got to think he did. He knew, and he got the guy he was going to get all along in Solomon Thomas, his number, or his number two player, it seems, on their board. And he didn't want to drop too low, even though, you know, Ruben Foster is their number three player, allegedly. Um, there was some risk that was carried with that if he traded to say, if it was the Browns, if it's 12, if it mm-hmm. was, you know, potentially, I don't know, somebody else, you know, maybe Arizona or somebody that wanted to move up and get a quarterback. Um, that all being said, I I have trouble really destroying the Bears for this, okay? Why? I mean, I think that I – look, it was one pick, yeah. and I have my own anti-Bears sentiments mm-hmm. for obvious reasons as a Packer fan and living in Chicago. But I think that – I've always said if you have – if you have a quarterback that you love, you just got to get him. Yeah. Like, I don't care where it is, you just got to take him. And it doesn't matter if it's three – if, if there's any risk at all of you trading down and not getting him, I mean, screw it. Do not do that. Don't waste your time adding a fourth or fifth rounder. And so by that same re- rationale, I can't pan the Bears too much for trading a third and whatever else that you said to move up one spot and ensuring that they got their guy. Because by all accounts, the Bears, remember, the Bears are at three. They're getting calls from other teams, too, to move up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pace said that, too. So, if people are trying to trade with the Bears for a quarterback and they've kept it locked in that they want one, then, you know, Pace knows that these same teams are likely calling the Niners about moving up for a quarterback. And if their quarterback is Trubisky, then they're not getting Trubisky. <laughs> like, if, if the Niners agree to any of these. So, at the end of the day, yeah, they probably overpaid a decent amount, like probably a third or fourth round pick, which at the end of the day they definitely could have used because they had a pretty awful draft otherwise, I think. But, I mean, I really I don't agree with it. I don't think Trubisky is that guy, but Ryan Pace staked his reputation to him and he knew going in that this was his guy and so he had to do it, you know? Like, I, I mean, I can't fault him for doing that if he thinks that Trubisky is going to be you know, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. Right. And well, like I said earlier, I think the number two pick was always going to be a quarterback and always going to be Trubisky. So effectively, the Bears, the Bears gave up a third this year, a fourth this year and a third next year to make sure that somebody else didn't trade up with the 49ers. So, right. you know, in that regard, uh, he better work out. How do you feel about Trubisky? Oh, yeah. How do you feel about Trubisky, you know, in conjunction with Mike Glennon? Oh, well. First of all, the hilarious story is that Mike Lennon was at one of the Bears draft parties and found out that way. Oh, was fun. Too pleased. <laughs> no. <laughs> with, with, like at a Bears-sponsored party, so not nice. like a bar party or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, like that's a pretty bad optics look for him and for them, for them mainly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, I, I just don't understand it. Like, I think it would have made perfect sense if you extract Glennon from this whole scenario for them to do this it would have made much more sense mm-hmm. and I still think that yeah if Trubisky is your guy then you still go get him but it really makes the Glennon signing look pretty awful I mean granted he's, he's basically only on the hook for one year but 17 million dollars yeah and um, <laughs> it just it's it's very odd and it looks pretty bad for Ryan Pace I think in terms of future free agents too right like yeah this makes it tough to trust him if you're a free agent. And, uh, yeah, like, 
it's a pretty weird and bad setup. And as for Trubisky himself, I just I didn't have him. He was my number three quarterback, and I just maybe even was like yeah three I think. I just don't. I'm not. I'm not sure why you would give up all of this for him. But again, I think that if he is your guy, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I had Trubisky two behind Mahomes, but. Uh... So the 49ers drop from two to three. At three, they select Solomon Thomas. And uh, in one of my favorite <laughs> favorite things from this 2017 NFL draft, the 49ers social media tweets out a picture of Solomon Thomas sacking Mitch Trubisky to announce the pick. <laughs> oh, man, that is too good. That is just too perfect. I mean, I one thing you can say, you can, I think, debate the Bears uh, whether or not they did the right thing, but you can't debate that John Lynch won big in that. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe he could have added second or third rounders in a very deep draft, and that's probably what I would have done. I would have probably dealt down, but if Solomon Thomas was his number two way ahead of some of the other guys, I can't imagine that, but maybe he was, then this makes a lot. I mean, he still got his guy and then added three picks, so man, that's it's tough to argue with the success. Um, I do think that I know that it wasn't John Lynch's draft before this year, but like mm-hmm. drafting defensive ends slash defensive linemen year after year is going to add up at some point. It's not great. Like I mean, you're basically blowing away your last few picks mm-hmm. by adding Solomon here. But like, this is your era, so if, you, if he's by far your number two player, then go for it, man. Well, San Francisco, they're back to a four-three now, right? Are they? Is that what they're going to run? Uh, I don't know. And, uh, I thought so, but now I'm starting to rethink that, so we're not going to talk about that. But if, yeah. <laughs> if that is the case, you know, you have Armstead and Buckner who can both play inside. Solomon Thomas is a guy who's versatile. A lot of talent there, but yeah, you need to address another position at some point. And there's an interesting parallel to be drawn with the 49ers here. Uh, you know, like you said, they only dropped down one slot. They made sure they still got their guy, and in exchange they got you know, two third-round picks and a fourth-round pick. You look at this, you know, closely with what happened with Cleveland last year trading out of that number two slot. Cleveland has now, you know, turned that number two pick in the draft, which they traded to Philadelphia so the Eagles could take Carson Wentz, into nine current players and a first-round pick wow. next year. Wow, that is – that's a full draft for one pick. I mean, that's, that's doing work. That's – but we've said, like, that, that's what they wanted to do. They, Sashi Brown has admitted, like, we, we don't think we're any better than anybody else at this. We can't say mm-hmm. that. So we just have to take more shots at the dartboard and hope that our metrics are better, our, our research is better, our scouting is better. But at the end of the day, we just need more. We need more attempts. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, that right there is the very essence of what they're trying to do. Yeah, Cleveland now with two first-round picks and three second-round picks in the 2018 NFL Draft. And that's just that's just right now. Who knows what's actually going to happen when things roll around. And nobody, nobody in the world is rooting harder against the Houston Texans than every single fan of the Cleveland Browns as Cleveland owns their first and second-round draft picks next year. Wow, that's crazy. The, the number four pick in the 2017 NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Leonard Fournette running back LSU. Yeah, pretty much the least surprising mm-hmm. pick of the first few. I mean, I, I honestly thought this was just an absolute lock on the Tom Coughlin. Okay, now I'll say least surprising because I think everyone in Garrett ultimately to the Browns. But, you know, I, I 
this slot made a lot of sense. They, all the rumors were that Tom Coughlin wants to instill a completely different focus to the team, a different attitude, and, and Fournette is, you know, he's a force, man. Like, say whatever you want about taking running backs early, which I, I'm against it, generally speaking, but this guy is going to change the way they look um, in many ways. Um, I think it'll be for the better, probably. I wouldn't take him number four, but it makes sense for them. All right, so we go from what you said was an incredibly expected pick to an incredibly unexpected pick at number five. The Tennessee Titans take wide receiver Corey Davis at number five. So we talked in our mock draft last week about how so the Titans are number five and number 18, mm-hmm. and I thought that they would go receiver here and that because I thought that the corners would fall to them at 18. I did not think it was going to be Corey Davis. Though. No. I thought it was Mike Williams all the way. And it makes sense because, you know, Corey Davis's stock was very, it was very quiet. Like, I think that if, if people were truly concerned about the injury, in retrospect, in hindsight, it's 2020 here. But if people were truly worried about the injury, there would have been a lot more about him being ready to play and about him having private workouts and all that. I didn't mm-hmm. see much of that at all. And I think that he was guaranteed by Tennessee that he was going there. Um, barring something absolutely insane happening with the first few picks. So, um, man, it's, it's tough not to see this, assuming that he's fully healthy and be really excited about the Mariota and Davis connection. That is going to be something. It, it certainly has the potential to be, but, you know, I'm, Corey Davis is a risk in my mind, much more so than a guy like Mike Williams, who I think we know what he's going to be. Corey Davis could be, sure. you know, he could be a lesser Jordan Matthews or he could be Terrell Owens. And that's quite a big gap between those two guys. So I, yeah. it's it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. But you have to like the fit for him in Tennessee. He's certainly going to get opportunities playing behind a great offensive line with a great quarterback. Uh, it will Good be uh, it will be fun. Yeah. The number six pick, cool. the, the New York Jets have to be thrilled to see LSU safety Jamal Adams still on the board at six. No question. And maybe this is why Calvin Pryor doesn't get the extension, right? Or no, that's true. This year because, um, Adams is essentially a much better version of him. Um, yeah, I thought there was no way Adams would be. Well, I had him at San Diego at seven, but um, I kind of thought the Jets would just jet this up. It, this is a nice <laughs> nice choice for them because he, he's definitely the kind of guy that can turn around the defense single-handedly just in terms of his own attitude and his his skill level um, if he stays healthy that's a very clean prospect and I think the Jets need those types of guys right now so um, one of the worst in terms of talent for a full roster um, they had a real blue chip type player in safety so good pick from the Jets and number seven the Los Angeles Chargers select Clemson wide receiver Mike Williams yeah they totally zigged when we all thought they would zag I mean I think everyone had not everyone, but many people at the league hooker here or mm-hmm. a defensive player or maybe, maybe an offensive lineman them trading down. But I like what they did. I mean, I think they see Phil Rivers' window potentially closing, and they want that action in L.A. this year. And I think that, uh, yeah, like adding Mike Williams is really exciting. It's exciting for Keenan Allen for that entire offense. And it, it's a smart pick if you think about it, because Keenan Allen hasn't stayed healthy for a full year in yeah. quite some time now. And despite his youth, I think that 
adding a contingency and Mike Williams makes a ton of sense. So I, I really, really like this pick for them. And I think, I don't think they thought he was going to be there. So very interesting spot here. At number eight, we have another, oh yeah, of course they took as the Carolina Panthers took the player who they've been tied to throughout this whole process, Stanford running back Christian McCaffrey. Yep. Um, we've talked about it a lot and I think it makes a ton of sense based on what Ron Rivera said. I'm not sure I would have taken him here. I think there was better talent, but I do think that they needed to add offensive weapons. It would have been really interesting if Mike Williams went to see what they would have done between mm-hmm. Williams potentially the now 280-pound Kelvin Benjamin <laughs> on the outside. That is about as big as it gets um, if they hit both of them. But I, I like what McCaffrey brings, and then they also added Curtis Samuel, Chris Samuel in the second round. So um, I – I think that they clearly knew what they were doing. They were going to add versatility. They were going to change it up a lot on offense. And McCaffrey's going to get open for Cam Newton, so it's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. Yeah, were you a little bit surprised they came back with another guy who was kind of in that Christian McCaffrey mold and Curtis Samuel in the second round? Yeah, I, I, I was, because I thought those two guys were just so similar. But yeah. Again, Rivera said all along, we want to change the way we look on offense, the way we operate. They didn't do anything in free agency, so in terms of adding or subtracting from that. And these two guys, I think versatility and being dynamic, those are the two words that come to mind for me, um, for those two. So it, it does make sense. It does stand to reason based on what Rivera said. So. We'll see if it actually works out. I still, I mean, and especially with Benjamin ballooning up to what he has, mm-hmm. that unfortunately complicates things for the negative. I think for them because if he's in game shape and those two are, and they're all three of them are healthy, that is definitely going to be something to watch. Maybe not this year, especially with Samuel, who's a little bit raw to me, but next year they, as they start to hone in on what they do well, could be something really, really fascinating to watch. Yeah, this is really interesting because the Panthers can effectively dictate that other teams have to play sub packages and probably even dime packages against them quite a bit. You know, you line McCaffrey and Samuel up in the backfield teams know that there's a decent chance one or both of them is going to flex out. So this is either an instant mismatch for the offense or an instant mismatch for the defense, just depending on what actually happens. Just incredibly, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Inside the five, I think that's where they'll really, like in the red zone, they can do a lot of damage. I mean, they were already really, really good, ruthlessly efficient with mm-hmm. Cam Newton. But you imagine that's true. those two guys out of a shotgun, and now Cam can either draw, he can option, he can move those guys around potentially. Um, there is a ton of flexibility that those two players offer. Even just one of them would have been crazy, but to have both of them, um, there are, I mean, the options are endless. But the only problem is, you know, these guys don't have size. That's a fact. So, True. And size skills along with speed. So um, we'll see if that lack of size, you know, impacts them because no one's done something like this before. Yeah, this if this works out, we're going to start to see this be something of a trend, you would have to think, with how the NFL is such a, cap, a copycat league. And you're right. When you talk specifically about the goal line, it's almost unfair to think that you line up in, you know, a traditional 2 to one you have two wide receivers outside with a tight end on the line and then two running backs. Those running backs are Samuel and McCaffrey. You have the option of flexing both of those guys out, putting them on the line, and then you're just asking two or three people to be able to stop Cam Newton on the goal line. Not to mention you have one of the best 
pass-catching tight ends in the league, yeah. Olsen, and one of the best big red zone targets in Benjamin when he's again in shape. So those guys together are – that is going to be a really interesting – I'm not saying it's going to work, but it's going right. to be really interesting enough and else. Yeah, or an interest, or an uh, another offensive lineman in Kelvin Benjamin on the outside to block. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah that those reports are crazy. Apparently, showed up at two eighty. Although everyone's saying it's not true, I think we can probably assume it is true. I mean, Rivera said he was out of shape, flat out. So either even if he's not two eighty, he's he's a big, big man, and. Uh, that might fly for a running back, a big running back like Eddie Lacy. It doesn't look uh, good, but it's still yeah. okay. But it will not fly for a perimeter receiver like Kelvin Benjamin, I'll tell you that. No. And one guy, uh, <laughs> this next pick, this is this is this was one of the, oh my God, really, picks of the first round to me. Cincinnati Bengals, maybe they get scared that Corey Davis and Mike Williams are off the board. Take Washington wide receiver John Ross at number nine. Yeah, that was something. Um, I knew going in, Marvin Lewis and John Ross are from the same general area in California, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, there were some reports late in the week that the Bengals had brought, them back, brought him back in, um, and that Ross just loved Marvin Lewis. He said it in advance. Um, I, I thought they were going to go John Allen here. Yeah. Unfolded. Um, I thought that the fact that he was still there was kind of absurd and uh, uh, even with the problematic shoulder which clearly was a problem for many teams but John Ross adds that Marvin uh, Jones dimension that they lost uh, in free agency before last year uh, they did add a second runner in Tyler Boyd last year this didn't make a ton of sense to me I thought even OJ Howard might have made sense and Tyler Eifert's a free agent after mm-hmm. 2017 um, but it's tough for me to fault that speed and I, I just man like I don't know how your doctors clear Ross, but don't clear Allen. Because right. Because if all things be equal, Allen's a better player, right? And he's definitely got fewer medical issues. That's my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? I had exactly that same thought. If you're going to take one of the medical risk guys, why are you not taking the one who is a potentially dominant player? Yep. I do think Ross could be really good, but dominant is, is definitely the, the operative word there. Um Tough. Yeah, I don't think I. I think they're going to regret that one because I yeah. think Ross is going to have issues long term. But as it played out, the Bengals did pretty well outside of um, in getting like a first round type end in um, in Jonathan in Willis, Jordan mm. Willis uh, in the third. So you know, ultimately there was some depth there, um, and it was tough to duplicate that Ross type speed later on. But I, like I said, I, I mean, I just it's really hard for me to picture Ross having a really healthy long career in the NFL. Right, because right, he can't do it in college. The guy, you know, right. like we said, the easiest way to sum up John Ross is he ran the fastest ever 40 time in the history of the NFL and got hurt doing it. <laughs> that really is just so perfectly emblematic of his whole stock and his career. Um, but I think when he's on the field, he's a, obviously a massive difference game changer and he can do that immediately the day that he gets to Cincinnati he can do that but I mean the only question is how many days will he be in Cincinnati yeah Uh, so with Buffalo on the board at number 10 they make a move with the Kansas City Chiefs Kansas City jumps up to 10 in exchange for the 27th pick a third round pick and a first round pick in 2018 at number 10 Andy Reid gets his future quarterback in Texas Tech's Patrick Mahomes 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a haul, obviously, to give up, but I freaking love this move. I thought mm-hmm. it was just super ballsy by Dorsey and Reed, and um, by all accounts, the Chiefs had, like, Alex Smith watch all the tape of all these quarterbacks, and I, I mean, this was obviously the spot where the Chiefs felt like, all right, we can't afford to let him potentially go to New Orleans or mm-hmm. any lower than this. I I just love the balls of it. Like I think that it it's it's not a common move, and and obviously the Texans did a few picks later too. Um, but Reed obviously sees something in Mahomes. I even if it doesn't work out, I, like I said with the Bears, this is like the Bears was way even more on it. Just you knew you had to go up, so you knew that they didn't get play. They they did exactly what they had to do. They move up seventeen picks, which is obviously a ton, um, and for a team that's you know kind of a contender, I would say in the Chiefs to do this really speaks volumes about what they think of Mahomes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, in lieu of adding three or four pieces in the next two years, three or four top premium pick pieces, they go up and get their quarterback of the future. But, man, I, I just, I really, really like it. I and, and Mahomes is both of our, among our top two quarterbacks, so we obviously like the player himself as well. Right, and you you knew immediately when the pick was announced and they, they included a 2018 first-round pick. Like, you only include that pick if you're going up to get a quarterback. So it was immediately obvious yeah. that this pick was going to be Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't have pulled this off without that, right? 17 pick or 15 picks up in the first round. I think you had to, there had to be a future first involved somewhere. Right. And we would uh, see that again in a couple of picks. But at, at number 11, the New Orleans Saints select a guy who I think we all thought was going to be off the board a lot sooner than this, Ohio State cornerback Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah, the two Buckeye DBs flipping. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we heard a lot throughout the process about how unclean both of them were. Actually, all three of them, I should say, with Gary Conley. So, yeah. Um, but I did not expect Lattimore to fall this far, especially with what happened with Conley. I thought that he had clearly separated himself from the other corners. Maybe that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, there was a lot down the like in the latter parts of the process that said Conley was better than Lattimore. This was before the allegations but even then on the field there were some rumors that you know Conley had taken the alpha receiver generally and was Urban's number one corner so man I mean in regardless the talent is undeniable Saints get a good one I mean we'll see though it feels like every year we're talking about the Saints taking a first round corner or mm-hmm. first round linebacker or first round defensive end or whatever and they rarely seem to pan out so maybe it's just I don't know, maybe something with the coaching or just the lack of um, training. I don't know what it is, but Lattimore is an interesting fit there for sure. And, and, I mean, a good pick. I probably would have done the same. So with the Cleveland Browns on the board at number 12, they make a trade with the Houston Texans and acquire the Texans' 2018 first-round pick. Houston moves up, takes our third quarterback in Clemson's Deshaun Watson. Same thing. I mean, I think that even more so than the Chiefs, the Texans really needed one. And mm-hmm. I wonder if this wasn't in their plans, like if, if they were always planning on trading up to get Watson or if they, they saw the two other teams trade up and say, well, we need to do this. And because these other two teams did it, maybe like the pressure's off us a little bit. You yeah. know, like, I, I mean, they, they badly, you can argue they have the worst quarterback room right now in the NFL. I mean, yeah. the Jets would gladly take that argument, but I think that the Texans are probably worse right this second. They could have signed, you know, Cutler or, you know, potentially Rowan on the line or Kaepernick. But 
they really needed one. Watson comes in, he'll start right away. He's my favorite. Him and Mahomes are pretty much tied to me. He's the best quarterback in this class, and uh, I really like to fit there. And again, I like the idea of going up and getting your guy, so I'm all aboard. You have to like what Cleveland did this offseason. First, they make a trade with Houston to take one of their quarterbacks away in addition to a second-round pick. And then they make a trade with Houston so Houston can go fill that hole and go get a quarterback and add another <laughs> first-round pick. Uh, the irony. I love that. That's true. I didn't I didn't think about that. That's, that's pretty ironic. I love it, though. Cleveland is just, man, they're just they're playing chess in the NFL, kind of playing checkers, I feel like, at times in terms of, like, I, I know it's weird to say, and mm-hmm. I know that they're nowhere close to competing yet, but I just love the way they manipulate the NFL, the way that they've done this. I'm so impressed with their strategic approach to everything draft and transaction related, just basically bucking all these trends and just doing whatever they feel like they need to and admitting and being very self-aware of their own you know, potential shortcomings. I think that they're, they're very, very good at that. They've proven very adept at adjusting on the fly, too, and this was just a really good job of them taking advantage of the board. I thought, you know, there were still really good players here yes. that weren't available at 25, but I still love, I mean, I still love the idea of adding a first rounder next year. I mean, why not? That could be their quarterback of the future. Well, right, especially if you think that that team you're trading with is going to start this rookie quarterback you just allowed them to draft. Right, no question. I think they, they absolutely will be, too, so... Although we'll see if the Browns have are going to be looking for a quarterback next year or not, because remember they did take that top four quarterback later in this draft as well. So they did. We basically added four first rounders in this draft. They have two more next year. They they, they did well. Uh, with the number thirteen pick, the Arizona Cardinals select Temple linebacker Hassan Reddick. Yep, uh, I think I bought this one. This is one of my favorite picks. I think Bruce winning out over a little bit, although the only quarterback left at this point is uh, Deshaun Kaiser. And so mm-hmm. you wonder, had Mahomes fallen here, had Watson fallen here, if he was, if one of them wasn't the pick, especially given that the Texans trade up just ahead of the Cardinals, so maybe they had yeah. some inkling that that was going to happen. Um, that being said, Reddick is, I don't know if he's the best player on the board, but I think that he's just going to be a star. Um, and I love him in this defense with his speed and his intensity, and we know how much Bruce Arians loves the speed going to be a very nice dynamic piece in that in that second day, or in the uh, linebacking core for the Cardinals. You got it. And I think it was interesting that he was being interviewed while, you know, his hometown Philadelphia Eagles were on the clock. And can we just say, mm-hmm. how great a job did Philadelphia do hosting the 2017 NFL draft? <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, I never want to hear fly Eagles fly ever again. <laughs> That's in my true. Life, but, um, other than that, I loved it. I know that there's been a lot of trash being tossed around about, maybe not about Philadelphia specifically, but about like the NFL Network telecast and everything. Mm. I lo- I mean, I thought all three days were absolute must-see. I was down. I was loving. I was eating all of it up. I mean, it was hilarious. Mayock and Jeremiah are really good together, and yeah. I, I love it. And yeah. Your town, your hometown, great job by the Philadelphia. They did an outstanding job. Well, Chicago got two in a row, I believe, so uh, there's a lot of call for for Philadelphia to host again in 2018, and you know I think they have a pretty strong case to do so. The Eagles did pick at number 14. They selected Tennessee defensive end Derek Barnett. Well, I'll, 
let me defer to you here. Uh, what? First of all, what were what happened? What were you thinking as this pick came up in terms of who was on the board, what you were hoping for, and then ultimately when it happened. And I don't know if you got it spoiled for you or not, but just no. kind of take me through your thought process here. I'm thinking Jonathan Allen's on the board, and it would be foolish not to take him. That's mm-hmm. that's my thought process. I think that you know this guy. We don't really need him as a defensive tackle, but there's no reason he couldn't play on the right side in a 4-3. This is this is the kind of talent that you don't often have available at number 14. Uh, Allen was my guy, probably be behind that O.J. Howard. And, uh, you know, after that kind of uh, a toss-up between a bunch of other people. But Howard would have been awesome for, for Carson Wentz as a safety valve. With Ertz. Man, that would have been really yeah, with Ertz would have paired very nicely as a, a dual yeah. tight end sets. Um, so look, I didn't I didn't love the Barnett pick. I was actually pretty unhappy about it when it was made. I've I've come around on it uh, in the last couple of days, and I guess maybe some of that is just is just talking myself into it. I don't I don't like the lackluster athleticism, uh, but the guy got to the quarterback. You know, everybody is going to point to how he did versus Miles Garrett in in terms of the SEC production. Where he did outshine Garrett. That's not to say he's a better player. He he is not. Um, I don't know. I've come around to it. it. It's fine. You know they're trying to build an identity on defense. What's his that? Brandon Graham was fifth in the NFL in pressure from the left side of the defensive line last year. Derek Barnett was number one from the right side in college football. So they obviously they want to make the quarterbacks uncomfortable and couple that with a pair of penetrating defensive tackles and Timmy Jernigan and Fletcher Cox. And uh, they would come back to take Sidney Jones and then your favorite cornerback in the draft, Russell Douglas, in the third round. Yeah. Trying to build yeah. an identity. And it's, you know, it's fine. It wouldn't have been what I would have done, but I, I'm I, on board. I agree with that. I also would allow for the fact that he is, I believe he was the youngest end in this draft. Yeah. Or edge defender in this draft. I think there was a ton of room for him to grow up that. I mean, not unfortunately, not arm-wise, because that would be helpful. But mm-hmm. I, other than that, I think that uh, I I think he's fine. Like I, I mean, I think he probably. I think they were probably a little bit surprised he was there. I most people had him pegged to Cincinnati, and I think that Cincinnati was certainly considering him. Um, ultimately, when those two receivers go off the board, Ross becomes a priority. But um, you know, I I. I I know I knew when I watched it that you were going to be not super excited about it right away, but mm-hmm. I definitely could see him given those other three pieces on the line being really, really good for them right away, and then for a really long time because he's 21, mm-hmm. and I think that he's going to be good or productive for quite some time um, in the NFL. I never bought him potentially flipping too far down the board. Well, let's hope so. At number 15, the Indianapolis Colts. Stop the slide of Ohio State safety Malik Hooker. God, what? I mean, how lucky can you get yeah. <laughs> for yeah. Chris Ballard in his first draft? Um, I, I think that Ballard just been just masterstroke after masterstroke this offseason in terms of addressing needs, coming from Kansas City, doing a different sort of feel on defense, and just giving Chuck Pagano the pieces that he would need not to screw it up and. I, I mean, I love this pick. It was just so obvious. It reminds me of when Quentin Dix was on the board for the Packers. It was just just so, so easy. Such an easy selection to mm-hmm. make. And the, the Colts absolutely need that playmaker in the center field of their defense. 
they have since Bob Sanders, and I, and Hooker's definitely got the talent to be much better than Sanders. So super, really, really, probably the best pick in terms of value, I think, and maybe in the entire first round. I would argue that one two picks later is uh, equal or better, but uh, okay, in the okay. in the middle of that, the Baltimore Ravens take the first Alabama player to come off the board, and shock, shock, it is Ooh. not John Allen, it is not O.J. Howard, it's cornerback Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, so Ozzie News and Vincent knew his uh, alma mater and doesn't take the tight end like himself, which I, I thought he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that they were going to put pieces around Joe Flacco, which they desperately needed out of the first round, but they did it later. Um, I like Marlon Humphrey a lot. I really never thought that his stock was falling as far as it was. Um, at one point, it looked like he might be a late first-round pick. Just too good, just too much experience in a pro-style defense, too aggressive. Um, and this is a really nice fit. I, I do think that there were better players, but um, you know, I would be shocked if Marlon Humphrey wasn't a very good cornerback. Number 17, oh, God. The Washington Redskins <laughs> select Alabama defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. Yeah, you know, like, how is this dude still on the board? Uh-huh. How does the team without the GM that unceremoniously kicked him out of town because of a drinking problem get to have him? Uh, yeah, like, such a no-brainer for, again, for a team that doesn't have a GM and we were fascinated by the possibilities of what they would do, given that fact, um, I mean, this they easily he was clearly the number one guy available, and uh, makes a lot of sense for a team that needs. You know, they just lost Ricky Jean Francois late in the uh, the process. They need a defensive lineman, and even if they did, Jonathan Allen is too good. Yeah, thrilled to have him in the NFC East with the number <laughs> eighteen pick. The Tennessee hey, t- one team can screw him up. It's Washington. That's so. that's definitely true. It's a shame McLaughlin won't be around though. Because that, you know, that could have been a whole other issue. Um, with the number 17 or 18 pick, the Tennessee Titans select Adoree Jackson, cornerback, USC. Yeah, so again, I, I, pegged the, I pegged the receiver corner combo for Tennessee. I got both completely wrong, but um, yeah. <laughs> I thought this was high for Adoree Jackson. I mean, it's hard to find playmakers. I get that, but I just think the speed is... is I mean, the speed's impressive, but it doesn't overcome the lack of size to me mm-hmm. and the lack of refinement and technique that I think he lacked compared to several others, including, you know, I mean, Kevin King, I thought Kenobi Luzio was their guy. Uh, I thought that he yeah. was more ready to play right away. Um, Jackson's obviously got talent, and he'll bring some special teams elements, which is great, but, um, you know, I, I thought that they could have done better here. Um, even if it was specifically a corner that they wanted, I thought they could have done better. Hey, but fun story, Chidobi Awuzia also slides and ends up in the NFC East. So, great day for the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. Uh, at, number, at number 19, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take the third Alabama player out of the last four picks, tight end O.J. Howard. Oh, I freaking love this. This sucks. Like, yeah. They're going to be very good on offense when you think of Winston and Evans and Doug Martin coming back and apparently looking really good. Um, in his rehab efforts, and man, you add OJ Howard to that whole thing, that is that is going to be a very explosive offense. I think, and it'll be a fun watch on uh, Hard Knocks. I think that yeah. they need probably another receiver, but I, I really like the uh, the Howard pick a lot for them. 
Uh, also, fun tidbit that I just noticed: the the Ball family, Lamelo, Lonzo, and Leangelo, along with obviously Father Lavar, have launched a reality show on YouTube God. called Ball or Nothing. Okay, well that sucks. I will be sure not to ever watch that unless Lonzo becomes a bull. Then maybe I'll be forced to. And also, fun fun ball talk. The, uh, obviously, last week, Under Armour, Nike, and Adidas all passed on on bringing Lonzo into their families, largely because LeVar was demanding that they uh, those companies produce the big baller brand merchandise for him. Uh, so mm-hmm. they pass. Yeah, Lonzo will, it will now be a spokesperson for the big baller brand, and his initial shoe, the Vertical, will cost $200. Seems completely fair. I look a very I, good investment. I look forward to twenty of these being sold. With the with the number twenty pick in the two thousand seventeen NFL draft, the Denver Broncos take Garrett Bowles, offensive nice, tackle, boy. Utah. Thank you. Uh yeah, everyone kinda had this. I think Armand collectively had this as well. Um I I would not have spent the number twenty pick on a twenty five year old lineman. Um but you know, they badly needed one and he, they don't have to go far to grab him. So there you go. And then they today they signed Jamal Charles. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they were thinking running back and possibly trading up for a running back and this way they they're able to get their tackle. I I just don't really get the idea of taking a twenty five year old tackle in the first. Yeah, from experience I can tell you older offensive linemen in the yeah. first round don't work out great. But Yep, I was trying to lead you into that one. Good luck to the Denver Broncos. At number 21, the Detroit Lions select, to the chagrin of all of the fans out here in Oakland, linebacker Jared Davis from Florida. Yeah, his, you know, it it turns out after, and the Packers' number one beat writer, Bob McGinn, also said the Packers were really interested in him and probably would have taken him if he was there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I know that he, he, his tape is really, really good. And I know he's a super intense player. I thought the size was slightly lacking for him. And I just, you know, he's coming off a serious injury. So um, I thought 21 was a little bit high. But for a team that no longer will handle DeAndre Levy, obviously Steven Selleck. And, you know, I think that needing an inside linebacker and a big-time playmaker is a, a very interesting pick. And not the way I probably would have gone or would have expected them to go. But... Uh, here we are. I, I thought that they were going to go tight end, and I wonder if O.J. Howard had last one more pick if he would have been a Lion. That very well could be. Oh, the Lions did just pick up the fifth-year option for Eric Ebron, and uh, not that he hasn't been wildly disappointing since being selected in 2014. With the number 22 pick, the Miami Dolphins select my favorite player in the draft, Missouri outside linebacker, defensive end Charles Harris. Yes. Uh, didn't I have you guys taking him? I feel like I did, and you were like, I hope not. Yeah. So, I, at uh, least there's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is, um, I, this is a weird one. Um, I, I mean, we, we said, Almanda Salgaro said that they were going defensive end here almost no matter what. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that part to me wasn't a surprise. I guess Charles Harris was the top guy on the board. I thought that. I heard that he was probably going top 15 mm. towards the end there. Might have all been smoke screens, obviously. Pretty productive player, but I 
I just don't think that he's really dynamic enough, and I don't love the guy. So I think it's sort of a strange pick in that way. Um, but, you know, he could be productive there, and I, I just wouldn't have taken, uh, you know, use a first-rounder on Charles Harris. With the number 23 pick, the New York Giants select Mississippi tight end, I mean, I guess tight end, really wide receiver Evan Ingram. Yeah, well said. Uh, this is sort of weird, I guess. I mean, like, I thought that they had more needs. I knew that they were interested in the tight end. I thought it was going to be Njoku here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is sort of weird that they went with Ingram specifically because, like you said, he's more of a receiver. They just signed Brandon Marshall. So they've got, you know, when you think of um, – all the different receivers they have between Beckham and uh, Sterling Shepard and mm-hmm. Marshall and now Ingram. Um, that's a lot and probably a little bit too much. Uh, they could have, and you know, they knew they were taking Davis. Well, they must be really happy with how their defense looks right now because I think there were, there were pieces there that they could have used um, that would have better fit this team. No question. Weird pick, especially with it being Ingram, like you said. At number 24, the Oakland Raiders select Ohio State cornerback Garyon Conley. Ooh, this is, yeah. I, so I wonder, what do you think of this? What, if if Jared Davis is there, are we talking about Garyon Conley being a Raider? I mean, they said that they cleared him and whatever, and, you know, they, the polygraph thing is out there. And, mm. But I, I get the feeling they were still going to probably take Davis. I, I wonder if they are forced to take Conley because Davis is off their board. What do you think? I think you're probably 100% right. And this is a this Conley situation is just weird because, you know, now they're saying this, the sex was consensual and all of this nonsense. And it did come out today that Conley will not be punished by the NFL because this happened prior to the draft. Now, that's not, wow. to, say, that's not to say he still can't be charged with rape and arrested. Right, but that yeah. that does he's seem. He's not playing if he's in prison. Correct, but he won't be suspended. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Much like Aaron Hernandez was suspended. Yeah. Uh, technically, yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I don't. I this is a little bit too on the nose for me. If I'm Oakland, this is a team that has a reputation with taking problem people. And they seem to be going away from that in the last couple of years. It just so happens that during that time, the team has also gotten very, very good. So I guess this was a, a situation where they saw talent that shouldn't have been on the board otherwise. They felt comf- uh, you know, confident with who he was as a person and what happened in this, this unfortunate situation. It's a heck of a gamble, but it's not one I would have made. No, I agree. And, and I think part of why I wouldn't have taken the gamble is that Gary and Conley is significantly better than the corners that were available or the defensive players that were available. Like, yeah, if he was a completely clean prospect, part of the draw to him was that he was completely clean. Yeah. The fact that he's not automatically docks him, right? Like, I mean, it's a self-fulfilling thing in some ways. And so, you know, if, if you're – that to me would drop him out of the first round for me for sure. And, he, you know, major red flag, obviously. Um, even if he didn't do it, which is a shame. If he, if obviously, if he didn't, this is awful. Like, this is really unfortunate for the kid. But, like, it's just a thing I would stay away from because there were just other players that would allow me to still do what I wanted to do without having to absorb the risk that Conley presents. Because there's a chance, a non-zero chance for sure, that he doesn't play in the NFL. 
absolutely true. Not the kind of player I'm taking with a first-round pick. I want to know that my first-round pick is going to play football professionally. So right. it's certainly a risk. At number 25, the Cleveland Browns select safety from Michigan, Jabril Peppers. So <laughs> the Browns are just I, – I, I can't get over it. But they, like, not only were they taking, uh, you know, making a ton of picks and trading around, mm-hmm. but they're taking – super high ceiling type guys. You yeah. know, you can tell what they're doing. They're not wasting their time with Garrett Bowles and all the respect to them. The Broncos, they're not taking these like high floor, low ceiling types. They're shooting for the moon and hoping that one or two or three or four out of these ten or so guys end up being you know, the fact is most of them will probably fall in the middle between the ceiling and the floor. Mm-hmm. But if any of these guys reach their full potential, which I think we can all agree with Jabil Peppers is as high as anyone, um you know, we're talking about a really dynamic, fascinating team. And, you know, they're not we're close to competing yet, so you might as well take your shots and hope to find extract players that are going to be a part of a team when they're competing for real. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love this pick as someone who has to watch 16 Browns games a year. I think once you say, hey, this is, this is the position you play – you are a strong safety now. Forget about linebacker. Forget about all the other stuff. Maybe we'll let you play offense once you get established. But you're a strong safety. Focus on playing the strong safety position. I think that this guy has as much talent as, as much natural talent as anybody in the draft. And he's obviously not as close uh, to reaching higher levels of that as a guy like Jamal Adams or a guy like Malik Hooker. But boy, if he can unlock his potential, this is an exceptional pick for the Browns, and just a fun no player to watch play. And he'll have Greg Williams, who has yes. been as long-tenured as any coordinator in the NFL on the defensive side, and, you know, he has seen a lot of different types. I bet that he will, I'd be willing to wager, he will have a plan for Peppers, and he'll have a backup plan, and he'll have a plan C, and any of those could work for him, which I think makes it this an even better fit in terms of, you know, I don't think there could have been a better place actually for him to go than maybe, mm-hmm. you know, New England or something. Sure. At 26, the Atlanta Falcons select uh, UCLA defensive end linebacker Tack McKinley. Oh, man. I think that um, Tack's actions when he went up to the stage overshadowed just how good this kid is. Yeah. How productive he was. Uh, a little weird. kind of tough. Yeah, I'll just say weird because I don't want to go out on a limb and say, you know, like, I mean, I obviously applaud the kids about that he's, he's how he feels about his grandma and his loyalty and whatever, mm. but, you know, you got to <laughs> – McKinley's going to go in and face a lot of trouble over his life in the mm. NFL, and um, obviously nothing quite compares to this, I'm guessing, but, you know, I think it's sort of a bad look for him in terms of, you know, the over-emotion on the negative side and, yeah. you know, like the borderline violent reaction, I would say, that he had. And, and I don't know. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with it. I'm all for emotion, but that was, um, that was just weird. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it does speak to how this guy's going to behave in trying situations when he's not comfortable. And now exactly. you, you have to worry that that is going to be a negative response, you know. Obviously, if he had just gone up there carrying this giant picture, uh, framed picture of his grandmother, 
that would have been one thing, but yeah, the way he behaved really put it into a whole different stratosphere in terms of NFL draft behavior. And totally, and you know, it's weird. Sorry, I just don't no, it's fine. It is weird, and um, two things. One, Deion Sanders recognized it too, and he was like, "Yo, chill out, little brother." You know, like yeah. you need to calm it down a notch because you are not coming off well right here. And two, you know, you said the words NFL draft process, and we have spent months, months uh, magnifying, putting every one of these guys under a scope. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the NFL teams are doing that times 10 or 20. Um, to do this right at the end of it, at, you know, the point where you should be sort of celebrating the moment and, um, I don't know, just, but also knowing that, you know, this is step one. It's the final step in some ways and step one in others in terms of carving out your own niche in your own way. Mm-hmm. On a professional level, that is just not how a pro sort of should behave in no. that scenario. So tough, tough look for him. But that being said, you know I like, I do like the pick. I think that you really like Tack. I could be wrong about that. Um, but and I love him in Atlanta in that defense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, Very I just look. I just love this in terms of a viewing experience for the NFL draft because you know typically we're gonna we're gonna respond to things like oh garrett bowles brought his his kid on stage that's cute oh that guy's wearing a funny a funny suit oh you know whatever is going on you just never know when a giant yeah. six foot two defensive end who looks like he's in some sort of bad steroid rage or withdrawal is going to come onto the stage carrying a giant portrait of his grandmother and seem incredibly pissed off see this was the most bizarre and awesome TV draft <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, between the trades up, three trades up for quarterback, mm-hmm. you got the McFanley stuff, you got the Bulls stuff, you had all the weirdness on day three with, like, the animals at the zoo and all yeah. kinds of crazy stuff. The, the Kaiser falling and, um, you know, it was just, it was really fun. Like, but especially the first round was just perfect. It was just a really funny, interesting um captivating honestly draft I, I was i had a lot of fun with it but this was this was a tough one were you watching the nfl network or espn for the day three stuff specifically the zoo stuff all nfl network okay so. good as, as you should have been um what did you think of mayock's response to to the uh, the zoo picks and the, the colts making their picks uh, from the zoo because it was kind of amazing it was it was amazing. I, I thought it was a little bit out of context. Like, I think that's just Mayock's humor. Um, but oh, then I don't think so. Kind of, there was definitely some kernels of real honesty there, like the mm. candor where he said, you know, Grover Stewart, like, let's give this kid from Albany State his due. You know, like, we, he's worked his ass off to be here, and, he, you know, we should give him his his props. This right. is, like, his moment, and we're watching a panda, or a, was it a monkey? A gorilla, yeah. Zoo, like, but yeah, whatever it was, and and I agree with that. That that yes. to me was actually that I agree with. But I thought they kept going back to it. I don't know if they were purposefully making light of it so that it didn't get awkward and become a thing after the fact. But um, you know, if you kept watching, Rich Eisen continued to to talk about the zoo and going back to the zoo and all that, and and he kept talking and Mayock kept talking about like walking off the set. Mm. The zoo kept coming on, so that's why I say I thought it was a little bit out of context. But it, but that point that you're that you're making and that he was making i think is well taken that you know these guys deserve their moment 
for the record, I do not think that that was a sense of humor. I think he was genuinely furious. Mayock is someone who takes this process very, very seriously. And for them to basically, you know, make a spectacle out of it, even more so than we do on a yearly basis with the entire NFL draft spectacle, uh, I thought he thought it was disrespectful. And I thought, you know, I think he was serious about his threats about, you know, walking off if we go to the zoo again. You know, and there was another instance where I think he thought they had already cut to commercial and he said something along the lines of, we have to talk to somebody about this. You know, I think he, oh, really? I think I he, he was genuinely angry about what was going on. Huh. And, and well, I, that was fun. I was going to say that, I, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I liked going to different places. I thought that was kind of cool. The, the Indianapolis Zoo one in particular was really stupid to me. Like, I mean, it was hilarious, but also like, come on, that's, a, that's obnoxious. But I liked like, Going to the Grand Canyon, that was mm. cool. Like, I, I mean, I thought that some of the other stuff, bringing in other towns and having giving that city their moment, I, I love. I actually really liked it. Um, but you know, and just to mix it up, because on day three, it's like, come on. So for the draft nerds that want to hear about every single player, yeah, that part sucks, and I'm with that mm. too, obviously. But you know, I you can read about those guys at as much as you want after the fact, and I've certainly done that myself, but. Like, you know, I, I think in that moment, like, we can all, you know, get off our lawn a little bit here and not be super upset. <laughs> but I think the problem was the dumbest one was obviously the Indianapolis Zoo. And it just so happened that the Colts had three or four picks in that round. So they just kept going back to it yeah, and back to right. it and back to it. If, if it was a one-off, I don't think it would have been a big deal. It would have been some stupid joke. But then, you know, it became something much worse than that. Uh, but we are getting off track here. Let's wrap up this first round. At 27, the Buffalo Bills select Tredavious White cornerback, LSU. Yeah, uh, I, I've been on right. I didn't think White was one of the top-tier corners. Like, mm-hmm. I think that it was about five or six deep. I would I would have been pretty, not upset, but you know, I wouldn't have been super excited with Tredavious White if the Packers had taken him in the first round, which yeah. allegedly was, was an option. I just don't really see him being on the level because his size just isn't there. And so, um, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a great pick. But that being said, this was his value late first round. So there you go. Yeah, I kept hearing. They added a first rounder, right? They did. Uh, they added a 2018 first rounder from Kansas City. Uh, I kept hearing Trey White being tied to Philadelphia at 14 after the Conley stuff so... and after the Sidney Jones stuff. And it terrified me. Uh, so, so thrilled that he was not the pick at 14. At number 28, the Dallas Cowboys select Taco Charlton, defensive end, Michigan. Yeah, I think um, I think the Falcons traded up to get ahead of them and get Tack McKinley because there was a lot of smoke around that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cowboys are almost certainly going to take the top corner or edge. There's a chance that they lost their two right in front of them there. Thought Watt was an option here, but. You know, Charlton, I've, I've got my issues with Charlton. I don't think that, first of all, I don't think that he plays hard. I thought that this defense, this draft in particular, I would have waited till the second round on him because mm-hmm. his production's undeniable. But similar to Millie Clint McDowell in that, like, the talent is certainly evident. The production was good. But, you know, the motor just isn't there for me. And I thought that there were enough players that both had the talent and the motor um, to merit being first-round picks. I didn't feel that way about Charlton. Agreed. At number 29, the Green Bay Packers are on the clock, and uh, they make a trade with, with the Cleveland Browns. They uh, pick up the number one pick in the second round, the number one pick in the fourth round. 
And uh, at 29, Cleveland jumps up to pick Miami tight end David Njoku. Yeah, so from a Packers perspective, you've got Watt and Foster and King all on the board. Mm -hmm. And I think they look at this and they say, well, we can trade down and likely get at least one of them still be there. And then the other part of it was actually, allegedly, Foster was off their board for medical reasons. So that's, that's um, that, I guess, removes that possibility. But at least those other two, I know they were interested in. And, um, you know, for them to drop down to the first pick, they also knew, you know, that first pick of the second round is a ton of leverage in terms of trading. And we heard all day yeah. that they were listening to calls about that pick, um, that they were listening to calls on Brett Hundley to potentially mm -hmm. take then Deshaun Kaiser there or around there. And so... Um, that that all was very interesting. It opened a lot of doors for them. I think that they saw that and said, listen, if we don't take King and, and Watt, you know, we still have a lot of flexibility here. So we'll just roll that dice. And getting those two picks to drop four turned out to be well worth it. So good pick and good move there. And then for the Browns, again, they just, you know, they keep doing this. They go with the high-ceiling talent. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Njoku works out, maybe he doesn't. But I have to think, A, it was very good value at 29. I thought that he would be gone. And B, you know, again, another shot at the dartboard. And if at worst, if he doesn't work out, they could still sign, you know, a serviceable tight end. But if it does, this guy has the potential to be an all-time game. I mean, a Jimmy Graham-esque figure in that offense. Yeah, and they like Njoko enough that they immediately went out and released their, you know, starting tight end Gary Barnage. Yep. So they are so they, absolutely they all, about them, right? yeah, all all their chips in in the middle for David and Joku. Um, and actually, I told Alexa as this pick happened, you're you're right. There's incredible value having that first pick in the second round. And I I told her I think it's feasible that if Green Bay wants to flip this pick, that they can conceivably get more than they gave up in terms of uh, for that number one overall pick in the second round. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I think that too, especially if you create a bidding war. That's a really good point. And, and I honestly thought they were trading down again because to me, when you trade down there, you're saying we don't really care between Watt and King. We mm -hmm. probably don't like either of them a whole lot, but we'd be fine with either. And, um, and the possibilities of, of what we could get far mm -hmm. outweigh the talent of either of them specifically. And so... Uh, you know that made a lot of sense to me, but the, the, for the Browns, they had didn't they have like the thirty-five or something? They, they had no, another pick. They had fifty-two. Fifty-two. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay, fifty-two. There you go. Well, you know they had already added three players, so they sure. Fine on that front. Um, but yeah, that, having that first pick, it was really interesting on both days because you know you get to hold court, you get to be the auctioneer a little bit, which is very, very different and interesting. Well, they end up keeping it, but we'll uh, we'll talk right. about that in just a moment. At uh, number 30, one of those players you just mentioned comes off the board. I think this is the pick we had in our mock draft as Pittsburgh takes Wisconsin outside linebacker T.J. Watt. Yep, and a, really just a perfect fit in the LeBeau-style defense, mm -hmm. John Caper-style defense, um, that 3-4, and uh, I fully believe he's going to be a terror there in, in Pittsburgh for years. Uh just a really, really good fit for him and a really good team to go to. Like, and, and, you know, they haven't had a really good pass rusher other than James Harrison there in, mm. like, how long? You had him and Shazier. You're talking about a really good couple athletes, both inside and outside. Um, and I think Watt could potentially play off the ball, too, for them. So uh, a lot of versatility, a lot of athleticism, and uh, a guy that's just scratching the surface of what he's ultimately going to be. So I, I fully 
endorse this pick by Pittsburgh. I think they were counting on him being there. At 31, Seattle on the board. Make a trade with the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco trades the number 34 overall pick in the draft and the, the number one overall, a 111 pick overall in the draft to move up three slots to 31. They select Alabama linebacker Ruben Foster. And as we said, they're number three guys. So, so they say. Everybody I, says they, they got the guy they wanted. I was just going to say, there's no way I buy that because yeah. if that's true, then they should have traded up at like, you know, they should have traded up whenever they didn't have to give up a future first or second. Yeah. So whatever that is, 26 or whatever. So, yeah, I think that he probably stuck out at that point where they were like, all right, the risk outweighs the reward. Or mm-hmm. the reward outweighs the risk here. So let's let's just go ahead and pull the trigger. And I think it makes sense for a team that's a long, long way away, probably even further than the Browns, really. Um, Agreed. And, you know, take the risk, see what happens with Foster. Hopefully, you know, the character checks out. We know how good he is on the field. Hopefully the, the medicals check out. Um, but, yeah, I I, uh, I I endorse it. I just don't – I agree with you. I don't think he is their number three player. Yeah, a couple of reports came out following the draft that uh, people are saying Foster is going to need a further shoulder surgery. So at least it's it's likely that he's going to need further shoulder surgery. So who knows how much he'll be available to play next year. But over the long term, you have to be happy adding a guy this good with the 31st pick. With the 32nd. No Where did Jalen Smith go? He went 40 ish? 40 ish, yeah. Well, I mean, Miles yeah, Garrett's so. another guy like that. Miles Garrett. Yeah, Miles Garrett. Oh, good. Well, yeah, yeah I was doing well for a while, <laughs> but the, the day of cloudiness. Oh, the day of cloudiness no, is returned. Yeah, Miles Jack, and you're right. Ruben Foster is a, no. similar to both of those guys. But Jack, Jack didn't miss time right away. Like we knew that Jalen Smith was likely taking a full year medical. Record. Yeah, it's true. So even in that case, I mean, 31, probably a better prospect overall than Smith, given mm-hmm. the fact that he could still get on the field and his on the field play was probably slightly better. I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think it makes sense where they were at. And number 32, a pick acquired from the New England Patriots in the Brandon Cooks trade. The New Orleans Saints select Wisconsin offensive tackle Ryan Ramchek. Uh, yeah, Ramchek falls into the first round, making it two only two tackles. Wow, that yeah. is really low. Um, easily could have been one, man. Man, I, I mean, Ramchek probably deserved to be around a first rounder. I, I don't think he really deserve to go any higher than this um only really one year not even at the uh the d1 level the fbs level transferred to wisconsin and uh but elder zone in that lsu game that was really like the one that propelled him and it was early so uh he also has medical issues so they both go ahead of well ahead of cam robinson which was interesting to me and we're going to wrap this up with a little uh, a little nod to Anshu Kana, the number one pick in the second round. The Green Bay Packers make their first selection, take Washington cornerback Kevin King. What a guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love this pick. I was really nervous because during the day, uh, there were a, at first there was a lot about Deshaun Kaiser. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it turned out a lot of that was because apparently the Packers were talking about trading Brett Hundley. And if they had traded Brett Hundley, it would have probably been for a second-round pick, but it would have been later. And the Packers were nervous they weren't going to get one of their the guy that they wanted, either corner or running back, which it turned out to be closer to the draft pick selection. It sounded like they were down to either Dalvin Cook, who I know you love, yeah. and Kevin King, who I loved. I I thought King was going to go much higher. Because Me too. Of the length, the versatility. 
um, the speed, the testing was just through the roof, and it set the tone for a Packers draft where they took a ton of athletes. So um, I was pretty happy with it. I was actually really happy with it that they went down four spots, still got probably the guy they would have taken, and added that fourth rounder that they ultimately used on Vince Beagle, who I absolutely love. So um, pretty excited about that whole situation. But I'm telling you, having that first pick on the second day is weird, man. Yeah. Uh, it is something. Well, I know I texted you during the day asking whether or not you thought the Deshaun Kaiser stuff was real, and your response to me was simply, nah. <laughs> I didn't. I just, nah. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. I, I, like, I think that they were interested in Kaiser. I bet that they held him in higher regard, but I wonder if they were hoping to get him with whatever pick they would have ultimately gotten for Humbley. Um, which they wouldn't have unless it was, you know, top. And I wonder if the Browns were, in fact, the team that they were talking to because that would have been interesting. I think that that would have made more sense. Um, Certainly possible. But, you know, yeah. like, yeah, like I, I don't know who I would want more right now. I'm like two years in, Kaiser, you get the four full years. So um, probably rather than Kaiser in that scenario. But I think Humbley's developed nicely, and so they're they're about – similar in terms of value that would have been really an interesting thing i still think humbly goes next year and if he was indeed being talked about for a second rounder i think you're looking at at least that next year well yeah i mean just judging from what we've heard about where they would be getting the pick you're right cleveland makes a lot of sense i'm not sure who else really does maybe the broncos and past that yeah but san francisco doesn't have a pick in in that later second round area yeah, yeah, you're right. So, Did you say Broncos? Broncos. Broncos. Yeah. yeah, Broncos, Browns. Like Lions don't make sense. Dolphins don't make sense. Maybe the Giants, if they want to look for a successful yeah. to Eli. Uh, again, the Jets are too high in the first round. The Jets, the Jets are that seven pick in the second round. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're know. right. They probably would have made that. Would have made that move. Um, there was also talk that the Jets were bandying Sheldon Richardson for that thirty-third pick, which would have been interesting. Really? But, again. I, because I yeah, got the impression yeah. that Sheldon Richardson was going to be available for a four if somebody wanted him. Wow. No, well, I mean, maybe, but I know that they were talking about Richardson for a second, is what I had read. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, obviously, for a bunch of reasons, culturally and financially, and, you know, mm-hmm. what it means contract-wise, how long you get him and control him. So, um, ultimately, that I, I was disappointed. I was really, it was one of the most fun things on draft day, like one of the players get traded we only really mm-hmm. got James O'Shaughnessy was the only one that actually <laughs> moved but <laughs> we we got our cooks one early but yeah, yeah it would have been that's true, and we actually set a record for the most uh, most picks traded in a single NFL draft with 38 selections traded, breaking the record of 34 wow. previously. So that's 32 picks down. We have 221 to go, so plenty of fodder for next week. Uh, obviously, you know nothing's going to change between here and next week. There's going to be a, no more new news to talk about with these draft picks so we're going to come back we're going to talk more about our favorite picks in the subsequent rounds maybe go through the second a little bit and uh, until then I hope hope all of you enjoyed your respective team's NFL draft unless you're a Redskins or Cowboys fan and I'm not really concerned about the Giants and uh, <laughs> thanks for listening I'm Chris Hordell he's on Chicana we'll be back here next Wednesday see you then